Musicians, you were great this morning. Not that you're not normally great. But today was special. You sounded excellent. I like the three guitars, or is it two guitars and a bass? Is that kind of like the distinction between fingers and thumbs? Like a thumb is really a finger, but there's always that kid who wants to show you that he knows a little bit more than you do. So a thumb, he wants to tell you, is not a finger. It's a guitar, right? Thank you. Okay. Well, great job this morning. Good morning, everyone. Chooks, were you able to get up the NWB Church? Yay or nay? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Nope, thumbs down. Please check us out on the website, nwbchurch.org. That's N as in North, W as in West, B as in Baptist, church as in church.org, nwbchurch.org. I'm doing a video podcast that's going to come on every Monday or Tuesday. And uh, the, the podcast is, is really living yesterday's sermon today. And I just take about two or three minutes, uh, three to four minutes, uh, to just take a little time to explain a little bit further um, some, some things that may have come up between my preaching of the sermon and questions that have been asked uh, since Monday. So I, I get a lot of questions. There's a lot of time to discuss. So I always want to be able to fill you in and give you a little bit extra um, than what we preach. So go and enjoy those podcasts. There's also all kinds of other things there at our website, but we would we definitely ask that you go and check us out there. You can also connect with us on Facebook. There's a little section down in the bottom center where you can connect with us on Facebook, and that's where we keep the church up to date on everything that we're doing. Uh, also, there are sermons. Uh, Alan gets the sermons up usually within one or two days after the sermon is preached, and you can check out our sermons there. Uh, if you don't want to buy a CD or we don't do tapes anymore, but if you want someone to hear the sermon or you want to hear the sermon, you can access the sermon online there uh, through SoundCloud. So please check out our, our website. It's nwbchurch.org. And the last thing I'll say about it is it was designed all by us. It is a really nice website. <laughs> Alan Reed and David Reed are, they're just a treasure. And they helped us, and uh, Pastor Dave and I both worked. We, we gave them content. They did the numbers and the, the zeros and ones. But we worked really hard on that. So please use it and see it as a place where you can learn more about our church. Last week we talked about sola fide. The week before, sola gratia. The week before that, sola scriptura. And we are going through what are called the five solas of the Reformation. Actually, the last two are solus and soli. So they're not technically sola, but they are all called the five solas. And the word sola just means alone. Alone, that's all it means. It's a seemingly insignificant word. The word alone doesn't, doesn't usually threaten us when we hear the word alone, but it is a word that threatens the world today. If there is a word that threatens the postmodern pluralistic paradigm, it's the word alone. Another word for alone is the word only. You might have thought it was the name Jesus that offends the postmodern pluralistic paradigm, but not even the name Jesus threatens a worldview that says that there are no absolute truths and that all religions have an equal claim to the truth 
about the ultimate reality. Ultimate reality is a religious studies word for God. We call it God. Buddhists call it nirvana. Hindus, Krishna or Brahman, just depending on what form of Hinduism they might embrace. Some call God the universe. And so postmodern pluralism is okay for us to talk about Jesus. They are okay with us to even call Jesus the Christ. That's the Greek word which means the anointed one. They're okay with that. It is when we tack on this additional word where Jesus becomes a problem for our world. And it's this word alone. Postmodernists aren't afraid to talk about Jesus Christ. They just want him to sit in the pew of the pantheon of other gods rather than on his single throne. It is Christ's supreme lordship that threatens our generation. The idea that Christ is the only Son of God, the only Lord of heaven and earth, the only way to the Father, the one and only King of kings, is just the type of exclusivity that our postmodern world hates. There has, of course, always been a need for people to define who they believe Jesus was and is. In the early centuries of Christianity, there were some who taught that Jesus was less than God, but more than man. Others taught that Jesus never had, but merely appeared to have, a human body made of flesh and bone like the rest of us. Still others thought that Jesus was a schizophrenic God being two persons with two natures. Others thought that Jesus was created but not eternally begotten of the Father, becoming God, they thought, but not being, as the Bible teaches, the preexistent Logos of God made flesh and dwelling among us. The historical church responded to these challenges affirming Scripture rather than choosing their own form of Christianity. The internet has become the dollar store of human knowledge today. What you get there is what you pay for. One popular myth that circulates around social media is that the Council of Nicaea was where all the Christian beliefs we currently hold to as Orthodox were based on the opinion of a few rich elite rather than on what Christianity actually taught. I know people who don't know the difference between King James and LeBron James and they're going to teach me about the Council of Nicaea. They can't even spell Nicaea, but they're going to tell me about Nicaea. Nicaea is a very hard word to spell, by the way. There's an A before the E. It's a really tricky word. The fact of the matter is they hear this because they want to undermine the exclusivity of Christ to make Jesus a palatable God. You see, if we take away the alone, after Christ alone, solas, solas, 
Christi, Christ alone. If we take away the alone, we can digest Jesus a little bit better. He's not as offensive. Because then you can go and find the God that fits your life. You can go and find the God who's not as offensive as the Christ who told us, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It is the alone today, and not necessarily the Jesus Christ, that offends people. Alone is the word they hate. Postmodernism hates the meta narrative. The meta narrative is the one objective truth for everyone, everywhere, always. And postmodern people hate that. They hate that there could be one way, one truth, one Savior, one Lord, one God. They hate the alone, they hate the only. They'll take Jesus, but they won't take Jesus. Alone. I want you to grasp that this morning. As you go into the world and you begin to tell others about Jesus Christ, that if you don't preach Jesus Christ alone, you are not preaching Jesus Christ truly. It is Christ alone. The name Jesus Christ should always be understood as alone. There's only one throne, and the king of kings sits atop it. There's no more pervasive threat to modern Christianity than today than the attempt to make Christ one God of many, a Savior rather than the Savior, a way rather than the way, a truth rather than the truth. We cannot cave, however, in capitulation in order to be popular. We cannot shrink from Scripture to be liked. Christ alone must be our doctrine and Christ crucified must be our creed. We preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to non-believers, but to those who are called both Jews and non-believers, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You will not sneak anyone into heaven. You will not trick anyone into a loving relationship with Jesus. You do not have to apologize for the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Merely preach him. And to those who are dying, they will continue to die. To those whose hearts are made of stone, they will continue to remain of stone. But to those who God has called, Jesus Christ is power. Do not share Jesus Christ with anyone. Meaning, share him, his message, but do not let him share or do not allow another to share in his glory, that is. This morning, my goal is to define, describe, and apply to our lives this doctrine of solus Christi. Let us pray. God, 
You are the one who makes men alive. You are big, God. We are small. You are alive, and many today here are dead. Many are alive because you made us alive. Many have hearts of stone, and you, Lord, will give flesh to those hearts. You, Lord, in your Holy Spirit, the active presence of God among us today, let your Holy Spirit begin to move. Let your Holy Spirit open up hearts as we cry out, Christ alone. Let his crucifixion be our creed. Wake up the dead hearts this morning. You can do this, God. Only you can give life to dead bones. What did your word tell Ezekiel? You, God, told Ezekiel, prophesy, speak my word to these dead bones. And so here, Lord... At this moment, I speak your word, the life-giving word that gives breath to our lungs, flesh and sinew to our bones. You can make these dead bones live again. You, by your word, by the gospel of Christ alone, make dead bones live. Only you can do it. Amen. Let me give you a definition of what we mean by the word solus Christi. The Latin is Solas Christi, and the English is Christ alone. Solas Christi, Christ alone. Here is the definition. Jesus Christ is the only sufficient Savior for sinners, and salvation is found in no other person, place, or thing except for Jesus Christ alone. Let me define this doctrine again. Jesus Christ is the only sufficient Savior for sinners. And salvation is not found in any other person, place, or thing except for Jesus Christ alone. And this definition has an affirmative and it has a negative aspect to it. So it says what Christ alone is, and it also says what Christ alone is not. In the affirmative, solus Christi, or Christ alone, means that Jesus Christ is the only substitute for our penalty for sin. Jesus Christ is the incarnate Word of God. The one and only mediator between God and men. A mediator is someone who seeks to reconcile two parties together. The only reason why, the reason why I should say, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior is because only Christ alone can be our mediator between God and man. No other God is sufficient. There are no other gods, as Paul would say. As Paul would say, there are other gospels, but not really. And the one King and Lord of both heaven and earth, every knee will bow and every tongue will one day confess, whether they like it or not, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. People tell me from time to time, I don't believe in Jesus, so what next? Well, that's fine that you don't believe in Jesus. You can deny truth all you want. You can step out in the street and say, this city bus is not going to run me over all you want. But you will confess Jesus either as your friend or your wrathful God. 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Colossians 1:15 through 20 He is the image he Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him Genesis 1:1 says in the beginning God right And John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, right? And it says that that Word was with God and that Word was God, right? And then it says in verse 14 that that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? So that the only conclusion we are allowed to take away is that Jesus Christ is God. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is even the first to be born of the dead. In an everlasting sense. People say, well, didn't Lazarus raise from the dead before Jesus? Yes, but to die again. Jesus raised to eternal life, to never die again. And that is the promise of the gospel. Do you know what Paul says? He says that if we have only hope for this life, we are above all men to be pitied. Pray that God will heal your body. Yes, I will. I will pray for you. I will pray with you. Let us all pray that God will heal our bodies. But our hope is not in the healing of our bodies for this life. Our hope is in the eternal renewal of our bodies because Christ is the firstborn of the dead. For in him the full, listen to this, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In the negative, solus Christi means that no person, no works of mankind, no authority whatsoever is able to bring about salvation for sins except for Jesus Christ alone. We live in a city where drugs and alcohol run rampant in people's lives. We live in a city where false idols are worshipped and glorified. None of those things can be your God. We live in a city where sex is God, where our own beauty and physical appearance is God. And all of those things will fade away. You know what happens with drugs? They wear off and you need more drugs. And they tear down the body. But the Bible says that Christ uplifts the body. Nothing and no one no government, no AA, and AA is good, and I am, I am for AA. I am for Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't believe they're the church. I don't believe that they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in word. But if it helps you get off alcohol, great. It is not 
the gospel. Solus Christi means that no person, no works of mankind, no authority whatsoever, not even the government. So maybe your guy, or let's say your gal, did not get into office this past November. Let's say that it was your guy for eight years, and then now it's not your guy. Let me tell you, whether it is or it is not your guy or your gal, they will not bring about salvation. How dare us put up pictures of politicians in our churches. That is idolatry. How dare us. That is flesh and blood. Christ alone is Lord. How dare us. It is not Kaiser Curios. It is Christos Curios. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. You give the Caesar all that Caesar wants. Caesar wants your money, give it to him. Caesar wants your guns, give it to him. Caesar wants your clothes, give it to him. And you give back to God what God wants. When Jesus picked up that coin, he looked at the image and he said, whose image is on this coin? And they said, Caesar's image. He said, fine, then give it back to Caesar. And then he said, give to God what's God's. What Jesus didn't say, but what he meant was, whose image is on you? Caesar can Caesar can go swimming in the money like Scrooge McDuck if he wants to. (laughs) You give to God your life. You are made in his image. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Acts 4, 11 and 12. I love this because these men, when they said it, said it in front of those getting ready to maybe put them to death, but at the very least, getting ready to beat them severely. They said this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christ alone. What does the Bible say about Christ alone? It has become popular today to separate what Jesus said from what Jesus or from what the Gospels or His Word says or what His early followers said, as if Jesus said something different. Do you know that the the international bestseller of the Da Vinci Code tried to teach people, I mean, it sold hundreds of millions of books. It was translated into many different languages. I actually like the book. It's a very well-written book. It's, it's fun to read. It's just bunk in terms of history. Can I say bunk? I'm going to say bunk. You know what I mean. It's crap in terms of history. But it's a good read. Go ahead, read it. I want you to know that people are reading Dan Brown like Dan Brown is equivalent with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They think you've been lied to. They think that what we have in this book is not from God. I don't want to bore you with the gory details of why that's not true, but there are several books I'll recommend at any point if you want to read them, and read them in light of the Da Vinci Code. But the fact of the matter is they're trying to say that Jesus' word, that the Bible does not say that Jesus is God and that Jesus alone is Lord. 
Well, give me the time this morning, if you would, and let me read some scripture to you. John 3, 16 and 18. You know the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, you can just add the word alone if you want, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul's saying Jews can have the law all they want. Gentiles can have the law written on their heart all they want, but unless they confess the name of Jesus Christ and put their faith and trust in him alone for salvation, they will all likewise perish. They are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Romans 5.17, for if because of one's, one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, I love this. This is a trap that a lot of people fall into. They assume that unless it's said in the Gospels that it was not said by Christ. One of the mistakes they make is that all, all if not most, of the early epistles are written much earlier or at least earlier than the Gospels. The Gospels are written at a later date. There are several epistles that are written earlier, Thessalonians, Galatians, that affirm Christ alone, that come before the Gospels are ever written, and they never try to contradict what Paul said in his epistles. It's a little anachronistic mistake of confusing that the chronological order, or at least that the canonical order of the New Testament, is equivalent to the chronological order. The first gospel written is Mark, more than likely. Yet it begins with Matthew, because the order of the Bible was not according to chronology. This is what the church has believed from the beginning. Galatians 2, 20 and 21, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, what is the way to be, with he to be in heaven, to be with God? And Jesus said to him, Thomas, you know the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Luke 24, 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Finally, John 20, 31, speaking of his book and the stories that he tells us of Jesus. 
But these are written, that is, those stories are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is a scratch of the surface of the New Testament's teaching, Christ alone. The New Testament has no inclusivity for other gods. It is Christ alone for salvation. Well, what are the implications of solus Christi? Number one, what does this mean specifically? What does it imply? And there are more, but I wanted to just highlight several this morning. Number one, the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is the only gospel unto salvation. We've talked a little bit about that, but I want to talk about what that means in our world. Religious pluralism. Pluralism is the idea that there are many different faiths and they are all equal in what they claim about their God. Religious pluralism is the belief that all religions have equal claim to the truth and that no single religion can make exclusive claims about God, truth, morality, salvation, and the afterlife. They are all little t true. That is as dumb as it is illogical. Look around you. Do the religions themselves believe that they are all just competing? They are all equal truths? No, they do not. Every religion can logically be false, but they cannot logically all be true. They can all be false, but they cannot all be true. That is impossible. Please, do not buy in to what you're hearing in school, on the internet, to just get by and to have peace. All religions cannot be true. That is illogical. Solus Christi rejects this belief completely. The doctrine of Solus Christi claims that there is salvation in no other person than Jesus Christ. It proclaims that true knowledge of God comes through faith in His Son. It proclaims that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. It rejects claims of disembodied spirits and the transmigration of souls and reincarnation and annihilationism and says that those who are in Christ will inherit life and those who are not in Christ will inherit eternal death. That's what the doctrine of Solo Christi says. Jesus will shift you. He will sift through you. He will find those who are his sheep. He will find those who are not his sheep. He calls them goats. I think that's a good name. And he will take the sheep. And he will separate them from the goats. And the sheep are those who follow the one and only good shepherd. Galatians 1, 6, and 7. Paul says to the Galatian church, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. This is what I spoke of earlier. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. How do they do that? They tried to add. They said, yeah, yeah, Jesus is good, but hey, you need to be circumcised too. Sometimes the Christian church is guilty of this. Yeah, Christ alone, but you need to also make sure that you always tithe 
yeah, Christ alone, but make sure you don't dance. Make sure you don't drink a beer. Make sure that you don't have fun. I'm equating, forget it. And they try to add on to Jesus. But listen to me, Christ alone means no, Christ alone. Not even your works. Wait. Yes, my work. No. That's what the word meant when the reformers came out. They were appealing to the Catholic doctrine that justification was faith plus works. And they said, no. Either Christ died for every bad deed, past, present, and future, those dead, those living, those who will live, or his death was in vain. It was a failure. Solus Christi affirms that those who have Christ will have life, and those who don't will not have life. Paul says, I'm astonished that some of you would desert this doctrine of Christ alone and try and add works to it. You say, Pastor, don't you talk about real Christians come to church and they're a part of a church and they, they don't live immoral lives? Absolutely, but don't get them out of their order. It is not that those things justify you before God. It is that those things are evidences that you believe Christ alone. How could someone believe the doctrine of Christ alone, that Christ alone gave himself for you, and not be so excited about it, not be so overwhelmed by it, that they would give their entire lives to him? How can that be possible? How can you understand God's goodness and not give yourself completely to him? How? If you're not, you have not grasped it. You have missed the Romans 6 that says you were once slaves to sin, but now slaves to righteousness. You have overlooked Romans 14, that 7 and 8 that says you do not belong to yourself, but you have been bought. You belong to God. Whether you live or whether you die, you do not belong to yourself, but belong to God. Christ alone produces an overflow of love for what Christ has done for us. He did not count equality, equality with God a thing to be held on to, a thing to be clung to, but emptied himself and took on the form of a man for you and I and was cursed death on a cross. The God of heaven and earth crucified by his very creation naked and alone. You say, but I've seen the pictures. He had a towel on his loins. No, he didn't. The Romans weren't Baptist prudes. They wanted to embarrass people and shame them. Why do you think he wore a crown of thorns? To mock him. Why do you think they nailed a sign above his head? Yesu Nazareth. Rex. Judea, that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Why do you think they beat God and spit on God and put a royal purple robe on him to mock his glory? 
that God would endure that and yet, while on that cross, look at his very executors. Oh, that we were there too and look upon my sins and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Oh, now that from the overflow of a knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, how does that not inspire us to make Sunday and Wednesday a part of our daily and weekly life? How does that not challenge us to look to the right of our house, to the left of our house, to the right of our cubicle, to the left of our cubicle, right in front of us, and see people who either know that good news or don't know it. And yet we'd rather talk about the dolphin. Christ alone is like, it is like a wave. And it submerses us. It drowns us in the goodness and joy that there is nothing and no one who can separate me from the love of the Father in Christ Jesus. The word gospel itself means news. Good news. That Christ alone has saved us. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Solus Christi means that nothing, not even our good works, can be added to the substitutionary work of Christ without nullifying his work totally. Christ has accomplished all things necessary to obtain for us salvation in his name, even our sanctification. The word sanctification means our growth and holiness in this life. Even our sanctification is by Christ alone. Dr. James Anderson says... The irrationality behind trying to improve on the finished work of Jesus Christ is like taking a paintbrush to a finished painting of Rembrandt and thinking you can improve on it. Would you walk into a Rembrandt and say, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, give me a paintbrush. Come on. What were you thinking here, Rembrandt? Let me fix this. Haven't you seen this app where you can trace things? Come on. Oh, Michelangelo, let me figure this ceiling. I can improve that. Can't improve that with your garbage drawings. I've seen how you guys draw. You're terrible. No artist. There are no Bob Rosses in this church. No, I'm just kidding. There are some. But as good as you, Cat, is, she can't improve on Rembrandt because only Rembrandt can be Rembrandt. And as good as you are and as godly as you are, you cannot improve on the work of Christ. You will not improve on what he did. No works, none. Christ alone. You might be saying to yourself this morning, this doctrine of Christ alone is all well and good, but if I don't live a good life, God's not going to let me into heaven. This is wrong thinking. The person who accepts Christ alone accepts that Christ's perfect obedience and his substitution on the cross accomplished all that is necessary for salvation. Well, then what's the place of works? You already know. They prove that we believe Christ alone. They are the evidence that we are new creations. Listen to how 
Paul said it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's a supernatural work. We've been given the mind of Christ. All by God. Remember, we were dead, but God made us alive in Christ. Who made us alive? God made us alive. But was it my works? God made us alive before you ever did works. Not by works so that no one may boast. Solus Christi, number three, means that Christ is God's word become flesh and that we must trust in all that he accomplished on our behalf within space and time. All that he accomplished. Christ is not only our salvation. He's not only the the one who died in our stance. He's also the one who lived perfectly for us. The life you can't live now perfectly, he did it for you. He endured the temptation of Satan himself. And did not sin. He suffered in every way. He was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. Praise God. I can't. I was telling telling my Sunday school class this yesterday. I was sitting there at my computer self-righteously telling my wife how to be a parent. I was saying, listen, if we just do this, if we just make sure that we, we give our kids blueberries, they'll never get cancer. And if we just make sure that we follow step one, two, and three, our kid will never have a bad day. And I'm sitting there preaching. If we just just make sure we parent perfectly, our kids are going to be perfect. Well, 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 you can't parent perfectly. Hey, kids, if you're a young person, you're still under your parents. Maybe you're not a young person. Maybe you're a middle-aged person. Maybe you're just a person who's out with your parents. Look at me. Your parents is as imperfect as you are. They're as flawed and sinful as you are. They're going to make mistakes just like you're going to make them and already have made them. So you got to show them grace. Just like they had to show you grace when you came in house, drunken, stinking, smelling, high, after a night of living in the lust of the flesh, and they forgave you, you got to forgive them for giving you McDonald's or whatever that thing was that you hate them for today. As I'm telling Stephanie about this, one of them, I won't name which one, but it was our oldest girl, <laughs> was having a temper tantrum. And I was telling Stephanie, we just got to make sure that we're kind and we're loving and we're graceful and we keep our composure. And as I'm speaking, it was like God was like, ramp it up, Claire, ramp it up. <laughs> See that precious face? Knock it off the side, smash it. He said, your kids are like that? Like yours? Yeah. Sinners, yeah, that's my kids. I gave birth to sinners. So did you. And so I'm sitting there thinking, and I come out, and I got in trouble, and I came out, and I said to Stephanie, oh, I feel so bad, I just failed. Here we had this plan. We had this, I had this plan that if I would just be a perfect parent. And what God shows us is you can't keep it. You can't be perfect. That doesn't mean don't strive for it, but have the realistic expectation C.S. Lewis said it best, you can't, you can't try, you can't understand grace alone until you try your level, bre- your level best to be perfect and then you fail at it. That was it, man. I was my, trying my level best and I failed. And I went into the garage, I cleaned up the whole garage, I was completely upset about failing. As I felt like, man, I yelled at her, I shouldn't have been screaming at her like that. And I failed about it and gosh, if I was only a better parent and... 
It was like Christ just spoke to me. What are you preaching on tomorrow, Andrew? I'm preaching about you and how you alone will save me from my sins and how I'm not going to be per. Oh. Oh. So if I confess my sins, you'll forgive me? Yeah. Every time? Every time. But Andrew, I've already forgiven you. Completely. Get up and go back and try and be the parent I want you to be. How does the gospel inform you to be that parent? And I went to my daughter and I, I brought her in the room and I sat her on the couch and I said, I'm sorry. I, I yelled at you a little too hard and I shouldn't have done that. And she said, I forgive you, Daddy. You've got to fail to understand Christ alone. Maybe some of you need to just fail so that you understand Christ alone. Maybe some of you are failing and you just are trying today to convince yourself it's not failure. But Christ alone frees you from that, takes away your anxiety. Listen to what this is. Christ alone means for us that God's love is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. You say, but salvation is by faith. Yes, salvation is conditional by your faith that he gives you the ability to have. Because he made you alive while you were dead. Because he loved you before you loved him. Our culture tends to think of loving others because of what they can get from them. We choose our spouses on their attractiveness or the type of jobs that they have. And when they lose their jobs and when their attractiveness goes away, we're out the door. We love our children when they're perfect and when they do all the right things. And then when they do the wrong things, we withdraw our love from them. But God's love for us isn't like that. It's unconditional love. One of the scariest places where this begins is in the home where parents can leave their children assuming that they can earn their parents' love through accomplishment. In her article, If the Conditional, or If It's Conditional, It's Not Love, Cheryl Paul, an international anxiety counselor, shared several alarming examples from her clients of how children perceive the love of their parents. I know my parents love me, said one client, but they were disappointed if I came home with bad grades. Hmm, seen it many times. Kids are in there working their rear end off to make sure their parents love them if they get good grades. You can be upset about the good grades, but don't condition your love on them. Listen to me. If your kid grows up and lives in your house till Jesus returns, but they love Jesus and his church, praise God. I told my daughter, and I mean it. I mean this. John, that's for you, buddy. I heard some laughter over there. Oh, Cortland's there. Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'll pick on you next. <laughs> I told my, my daughter and I told my son this. I'll tell my next daughter this. We'll have all the room. We'll live, we'll live like the Willy Wonka grandparents, <laughs> foot to foot in the bed. You become a lawyer. You become a doctor. 
great, great, great. You want to work at McDonald's? You know, but, but great, fine. Do you love Christ alone? Do you love his church? If you love him, success. Parents want more for your children than grades. Some of your kids aren't ever going to be anything but C students. No, no, no. If we, no, 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 listen to me. No, because God didn't make them to be A students. And now maybe he needs to kill that idol in your life that you're going to live your life through your child. Maybe he's just going to give you that C student. Be okay with it. Do they love Jesus? I know my parents are proud of me. I was, I was a C student in high school. Now I'm not a C student, but I know they're proud of me because they know I love Jesus today. I know that. I know that. And I'm not, it's not me. It's their good child rearing. I know my mom loved me, but when I behaved badly, like I broke a dish accidentally, she would get so angry and then withdraw her warmth. Another person said, I know my parents love me, but they seem so much happier when I'm doing well and I have a job and dating someone they approve of. Now, I, I think we should, I'm not saying go ahead and be deadbeats, young people. I'm saying if you love the Lord and you seek first his kingdom, those other things are going to work themselves out. I believe that many Christians view their relationship with their heavenly father the same way that they view their relationship with their earthly parents. God will love me if I am blank. God will love me if I do blank. But if there's an if in your understanding of God's love for you, then you haven't understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get rid of the ifs. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person. One would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Solus Christi means that Christ alone is our Lord. The Greek word for Lord is kurios, not curious, but kurios, meaning one who is in charge by virtue of possession, an owner, a Lord, a master. One, I just want to deal with one of those words today. Solus Christi means Christ owns you. How does that make you feel? Christ owns you. You're not in charge of your life. He is. Say, I don't like that word ownership. I'm learning in school and I'm learning all the time that it's about my way, my will, my life, what I want, what makes me happy, I and me. And Christ says, uh-uh, you were bought with the price, you belong to me. 
If Christ is Lord, he owns you. He owns your thoughts. He owns where your feet go. We learned this when we were children, when we sang this wonderful little song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. Do you give your thoughts and what you look at and what you think about and where your feet go and what your hands touch? If Jesus is Lord, he gets all of it. All of it? What about my bank account? Yeah, that too. If Jesus isn't Lord over your bank account, if he is not Lord over every part of your life, then he's not Lord. He gets to be Lord over every part. Romans 14, 7 through 8, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I want you to look at how many times you see this word come before Christ in the New Testament. It's this simple little word. It's a preposition. It's the word in. In. Like as in inside the ark. As in if I'm outside of the ark, I'm drowning. If I'm in it, I'm alive. What about if half of my body's outside? In, all or nothing. Christ is Lord. C.S. Lewis said, we may note that Jesus was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. That's where the American church is today. Jesus is a cool guy. He said some pretty cool things, right? That turn the other cheek, that love your neighbor, that's cool. Man, he was the first one to liberate women. Yeah, he had a high view of women. That's cool, and that fits into the feminism of today. But that's not the gospel. Christ alone. Christ alone is our foundation, no other foundation. Ephesians 2, 20 and 22, you'll have to read it on your own. Solus Christi means that Christ alone is our refuge. I'll leave you with this this morning. Maybe you're troubled by the fact that you've rejected Christ as Savior and Lord this morning. Maybe you're troubled. You've heard the gospel preach and your heart is troubled. Jesus has a word of peace for you. He says to you, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Right now, your heart might be troubled because you see you haven't accepted Christ. Your life doesn't bear the, the marks of giving yourself to Christ. Christ says, let not your heart be troubled. Right now. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That's the word of God, the very word of God. God cannot lie. And you can take it to the bank that in his father's house are many rooms because God cannot lie. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you will be also and you know that the way where I am going. And Thomas said to the Lord, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How, we, how can we know the way? You cannot say this morning, as Thomas said, we don't know the way. 
You have heard this morning that the way is Christ alone. You have heard that faith alone in Christ alone is the only gospel unto salvation. You have heard this morning that nothing and no one except for Christ alone can save you. You know the way. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. From now on, you do know Him. The question is, what will you do about it? What will you do this morning? Are you hoping that this life is all there is? And that there is no judgment to come? That you can neglect the great salvation in Christ alone? And that when you die, you will simply be annihilated and perished, losing all consciousness? Is that what you're hoping in this morning? Are you hoping that there will be no day of reckoning for your sins? Do you acknowledge Christ as your Savior, but not as your Lord? We would like Jesus to be our Savior without telling us what to do. But Jesus says, if I'm your Savior, you are now mine. And that's a good thing because he is a gentle shepherd. He is a loving master. He is not like our earthly parents. He is not like our earthly masters. He's a shepherd who cares for the sheep. He will run out and find the 99. He'll leave the 99, find the one. Maybe you're the one today. You say, I'm here, aren't I? Yes, but is your life inside the flock? Are you running away from Christ in disobedience? If you belong to him, he will get you. I'm confident of that. He will lovingly, through discipline, bring you back to him. And if he has to break you down to the last breath to get you to utter the words, Christ alone is my Savior, he will do it. I heard about a man who committed suicide or attempted to commit suicide. He had died. They brought him back. They resuscitated him and he made it through the suicide. He repented of his sins, acknowledged Christ, and died. Those whom the Lord loves, he also disciplines. And if that's what it takes to bring you to confess Christ alone, he'll do it. Don't run from the shepherd. Live in his flock and let him gently guide you. Obey his word. He is a loving master. Faith alone in Christ alone is not a one-time prayer, but a lifelong commitment to him. Yes, you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, but you must walk in this faith, giving your life completely over to Jesus, obeying His commands for you. Jesus loves you and He wants what's best for you. And if you delight in Him, He will give you the desires of your heart. But the desires of your heart cannot be things. The desires of your heart must be Christ and Christ alone. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, you are our portion. What a magnificent portion. Holy Spirit, you know the hearts today. Where I failed to preach the gospel, correct it. Lord, where there is rebellion in these hearts, set them right and towards you. Cultivate the soil of their hearts that they might repent and believe in the name and only name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, do your work through the preaching of the word. 
Amen.